Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Chapel Messages podcast, a ministry of Emmaus Bible College. Each episode is taken from a chapel message given here at Emmaus. For more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. My name is Brandon. Like, uh, like um, uh, Brooke said, uh, I'm a pastor at River City Church. It's a church here in town. Uh, my family and I, along with about five other families, moved to Dubuque in 2016 to actually plant that church here in the city of Dubuque. And by God's grace, that has been going well. And we've been excited to see the ways that God's been growing and multiplying our church and reaching our city with the good news of the gospel. And so uh, excited about that. But, but before I was a pastor at River City, I was actually involved with and then on staff with the college campus ministry for uh, a little over 10 years. And and so I have a special place in my heart for college students like you guys and where you're at. And, and uh, this is just an aside, but if you haven't found a church yet while you're here at school to be a part of, uh, we'd love to have you at River City. We'd love to have you be a part of the community there and be a place where you can grow and get connected with, with others who are trying to love and follow and pursue Jesus as well. But uh, I don't know about you, but God really used my time in college to transform my faith in some really profound and significant ways. And and uh, I grew up in a Christian home, going to church, going to church, do, going to youth group, doing all the stuff. Um, and, but I would, and I would say that at a young age, I understood and believed the message of the gospel. But for me, college was a place and a time in my own life where, for the first time, my faith, I think, really became my own. You see, I think growing up, my faith was kind of this compartmentalized part of my life that I knew was something that should be important to me. But... In college, what happened is my faith became something that I couldn't help from impacting every part of my life. And see, what really happened for me in college is that God got a hold of my heart. And that's what I want to talk with you about just a little bit this morning as we take a look at a couple verses from Psalm 86. And what I want to show you in just our brief time together this morning is that, is that the kind of worship, the kind of faith that God is after, that he, is, that he both desires and is worthy of, is fundamentally one that is characterized by giving our whole hearts to him. And so uh, with that in mind, let me pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll dive into our passage this morning. God, I'm just so grateful for you and for your word and for our time together. And God, as we come to study your word just, a, just for a brief time this morning, God, the reality is, is that without you being the one that causes it to be good news to our hearts, that enables it to transform and renew us, uh, that it won't. God, I don't have anything to offer except for you and for your word. And so we need you by your spirit to uh, cause uh, the truth of your word to transform and change us. And so, God, we are so grateful that you love to do that, that you promise to do it in through your word. And so we ask again this morning as we gather, God, for our good and for your glory, that you would indeed cause your word to transform our very hearts and lives. And so we look forward to how you will do that in us this morning, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, one of, the, one of the big overarching themes of the Bible is that God is not merely after the external conformity of our lives to his will, but rather what he is after is the internal devotion of our hearts to him. And when you and I think about the heart, uh, we usually tend to associate that with our emotions, 
with our feelings, right? You love someone from your heart. You, you get your heart broken, your passions, your desires. Those, feel, those are things that come from the heart, right? But the Bible refers to the heart much more holistically. It's not just the place where our emotions come from. It is where our thinking and our planning and our decisions, where, where our very self is located. Tim Keller, he sums it up this way. He says, in the Bible, the heart is used as a metaphor for the seat of our most basic orientation. The direction of our heart then controls everything, our thinking, our feeling, our decisions, and our actions. And so whatever we cherish in our hearts most controls the whole person. In the end, we always do what the heart wants most. We always do what the heart wants most. What Keller's saying there is that, is that the reason why God is so concerned not merely with the external conformity of our behaviors, but with the internal devotion from our heart, is because the reality is, is that what's going on in our heart, the things that we love, the things that we cherish, the things that we value most, those are the things that drive, invariably, that drive our actions. They're at the root of everything else. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says that, above all else, the writer says, guard your heart, because everything that you do flows from it. Everything you do. And this is true all of the time, but I think especially it's evident that the desires of our heart, what's going on in our heart, it drives our behaviors, it drives our actions. It's especially evident in, in the most, oftentimes in most difficult and stressful kind of situations. Um, I don't know about you guys, my wife, she really loves watching the TV show Survivor. Uh, she stopped letting me watch that show with her years ago because, and I quote, I ask too many questions, right? Um, it, let's just be honest, it doesn't make sense, right? Um, but uh, one of the things that you, that you pretty quickly find out as you watch the show, as you, as you watch a few episodes at least, is that what happens is that throughout the thing, peop, throughout the show, people do and say things that seem to be out of line with their normal selves. And when you get to the very end, there's always this, I can't remember, tribal council or final something or other, it doesn't matter, right? Um, but uh, one of the things that people always say is they always try to give justifications for what they're doing. And one of the things that you see all the time in those kind of post-game interviews is people are always saying, that's not the real me. That's not the real me. I, I, don't, I, wouldn't really, I don't act like that. I don't, I don't live like that. I don't say, I don't do those kinds of things in my real life. But the truth is, is that what comes out of us in times of pressure and stress, that's not the false you. That's actually the real you. That's the you that you got too hungry or too tired or too frustrated to be able to hide anymore. It's the, it's the you that comes out when winning a million dollars is the thing that's on the line. It's the you, it's when the desire to win a million dollars is the thing that is driving everything that you're doing. It is the real you. And David understood that reality. Now, he's not playing Survivor, uh, the show. He's literally playing Survivor in life in the midst of this psalm. You see, Psalm 86 here is a prayer that he prays in the midst of this incredibly stressful situation. If you keep reading past verse 13, what you find is that he's crying out to God for help because he is on the run from enemies who are literally actually trying to kill him, right? He's, his, his actual very life is in danger. and That's why he, he prays in verse 11. He says, teach me your ways, Lord. 
that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart so that I may fear your name. You see, what David understands is that in this moment, in the midst of all of the fear and worry and stress and anxiety of literally being on the run for his life, what he realizes is that his own heart is tempted to be controlled by something other than God. His heart is tempted to be controlled by a fear of people or a desire for safety and security or, or just to be vindicated or a million other things, none of which are the right thing. And the reality is that the truth is that you and I, will always, there will always be someone or something that controls and drives everything that we do. There will always be someone or something that holds the overwhelming, controlling influence in our hearts. In other words, there's always going to be someone or something that we worship. And the question is not if we're going to worship, it's only what are we going to worship. What's going to be the thing that our hearts are consumed by? What is going to be the thing that drives what we do? And it's either going to be God or it's going to be something else. And what David's prayer here is saying is that he doesn't want his actions in the midst of this situation to be ruled by a heart that is relying on anyone or anything other than God. And so he prays not merely, God, teach me how to get out of this hard situation. But instead, God, teach me in the midst of it while the trouble rages, while the fear is very real, while worry and anxiety, while those things are so easily tempted to be controlling me, God, in the midst of it, teach me to live your way. Teach me in the midst of the fear and the worry and the hardship to rely on you and to set my whole heart on you so that what drives my actions in this moment isn't the fear of people, or the pursuit of my own safety and security, no matter what the cost, but instead what drives my actions, God, is you. I want to rely on you. I want to trust in you. I want to hope in you. I want my whole heart to be set on you. You see, and at the core of David's prayer in these verses is that God would give him a heart that is totally devoted to him. That's totally devoted to him. And the reason why he's praying that is because he knows that that is not the default mode of his heart. He knows that that's not the automatic reaction that he has. He knows that in the midst of fear and worry and anxiety, in the midst of life and all that is going on, is that his default mode, the default desire of his heart is to look to someone or something else to be the thing that he looks to for rest and security and safety and and hope instead of God that he longs for and loves most to be something other than God. And so he prays, God, in the midst of all of it, give me a heart that is wholly devoted to you, one that rests in you, one that relies on you, one that trusts in you. And so the question is, is it's one thing to ask God to do that in you, and it has to begin there, but the question is, How do you actually become increasingly characterized by that? How do you actually become increasingly characterized by a wholehearted devotion and worship of God? 
by giving him not just your external attitudes or your external behaviors, but the internal attitudes of your heart? How do you become characterized by doing that? And I think in the passage we see kind of a a two-part answer to that. And the first is that you have to see, number one, is that you have to see that God is the only one who is worthy of your wholehearted Worship. That's what the first three verses are all about. Let me read them again to you. Verse 8, David writes this. He says, Among the gods there is none like you, Lord. No deeds compare with yours. All the nations that you made will come and worship before you. They will bring glory to your name, for you are great. You do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. You see, what David is saying is, God, there's nobody like you. There is no other God who can do what you have done. There is no other God who is like you. Nothing and no one compares to you. No one's higher. No one's greater. No one's mightier. You alone are the one who's worthy of my worship. You're the one alone that is able to be trusted in. You're the one that's worthy of praise. You are the one God that is worthy of my wholehearted devotion. What you see throughout the Psalms is that David has to remind himself about that often. Because he forgets, just like you and I do. We forget all the time that God is the one who's actually the only one who's worthy of our wholehearted devotion and worship. He's the only one. Everything else is is but a whisper and a wind. It doesn't fulfill. It doesn't give life. It doesn't satisfy. It cannot be hoped in. It cannot be trusted in. It cannot be relied on. But God alone can. But it's so important that you see this. Knowing that God is the one who's worthy of your worship is not enough. Knowing that he's the only one who is worthy of your whole heart of devotion. Just knowing that, that is not enough. You see, that brings us to the second thing. It says that you, you have to see that this great and awesome and mighty God, this one who is alone, the one to be worthy of your worship and your wholehearted devotion, is that he is not just far and mighty. He is not just big and powerful. He is a great God who has used his might and power and goodness to love you and rescue you. Verse 12 and 13 David writes, I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. Why? For great is your love towards me, and you have delivered me from the depths, from the very realms of the dead. See, the only way that you go from having a divided worship of all kinds of other things, a heart that is given in all kinds of places to a wholehearted worship and devotion of God is when his own love for you captivates your heart. That's the only way that it happens. Tim Keller again writes it this way. He says, you cannot change merely by changing your thinking or through great acts of will, but rather by changing what you love 
most. Change happens not only by giving our minds new truths, though it does involve that, like David was reminding himself about the truth of God's faithfulness and goodness, that he alone was the one worthy to worship, but it happens also by feeding the imagination new beauty so that you love God supremely. We change when we change what we worship the most, and how do you do that? How do you change what you love most? How do you change the longings and the desires of your heart? He says this way, by seeing that Jesus' own heart was crushed and broken as he died on the cross for us. As we worship a crucified Savior, our hearts are transformed. See, that's the reality. Is that the only way that we go from having divided hearts, giving ourselves all over to all kinds of things, to a wholehearted devotion to God, is not when you just know it's what you're supposed to do, but when God's own love for you captures your affections and your heart. When you see the good news of the gospel and all that he has done to rescue you from the very realms of the dead. Ephesians 2 says that without Christ we were dead in our sins. You see, it's only when you see and keep coming back to the good news of the gospel that your heart will be transformed. And that the thing that you love most, the thing your heart desires, the thing that begins to rule your very actions is a love for God and a devotion to him. There's this old hymn, the chorus goes this way, it simply says this, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. See, that's what David is writing about in this psalm. The first half is, God, you are utterly glorious. There is nobody like you. You alone are worthy of my worship. But you're not just far off and mighty. You brought yourself near so that you might rescue me. You see, it's only when that reality captivates your heart that you will be increasingly changed. When the good news of the gospel, when the reality that in the midst of your sin and rebellion against God, he came to rescue and redeem and renew you, it changes you like nothing else can. You see, what happens is that the good news of the gospel, what it does is it drives out our other loves because it helps us to see them for the insufficient things that they really are. And the gospel as well, what it does is it drives out our other fears because what it helps us to see is that the fear of people and situations and things are not actually things that can actually change us, but the great king and creator of the universe who is mighty and above everything, he is the one who has all authority and he's used it to rescue us. And so our hope and our confidence is altogether secure. And so I just want to ask you this morning, does God have your whole heart? Does he have your whole heart? Or are you just giving him a part of it while you're giving away the rest of it to other people and things? You see, the very first of the Ten Commandments is that we would love and worship God supremely and exclusively. Not that he would be the first among many, 
but that he would be the one and only. Does God have your heart? Are you just giving him parts of it and giving the rest of it away? Or I might add this. Does, are you offering God your mind, but not your hearts? It can be easy in the midst of literally being at a school where the part of the big part of the goal is to study the Bible and to learn more about God. It can be easy to be sidetracked by thinking right thoughts about God while forgetting what God's really after is your heart that is captivated in love for him. Trust me, I spent a bunch of years in seminary. It is real easy to think right thoughts about God, but not to love him from your heart. And if your time here is just about learning to think right thoughts about him, you will have missed the point entirely. Because what he's after, first and foremost, is your hearts given to him in devotion to him. And that will produce right thinking and right studying and all the rest. But it has to begin there. So the question is, does God have your old heart? And the follow-up question is, how can you tell, right? How can you tell? Well, two simple things. One, I think just look at your actions. Proverbs 27, 19 says simply this, as the water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. If you want to know what you love most, if you want to know the things that really matter to you, the things that are driving your actions, look at, look at your life. Do your actions, do your attitudes, do your behaviors, do they reveal, do they reflect that what you love most is him? Or do they reveal and reflect that what you love most is something else? But secondly, don't just look at the external, look at your motivations. Ask God to give you eyes through his spirit to see what's going on internally in your heart. Remember, God is not just after the external conformity of your behaviors to his will. He's after the internal devotion of your heart to him. And so ask him to give you eyes to see, God, why am I doing the things I'm doing? I might be doing the right things on the outside, but am I doing it out of a love for you or am I doing it for something else? The good news of the gospel this morning is that God's grace towards us is not dependent on our undivided hearts for him. Instead, it's the other way around is that our undivided hearts are a reminder of how much we need God's grace. Because you cannot transform your own heart. Only God can do that in you. And so ask him that he would, so that what might be true of you is that you have an undivided heart for him. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful for you and for your word. God, we're grateful that it reminds us that what you long for most is not just the external conformity of our lives, but God is the internal devotion of our hearts. God, and we just want to be honest and confess to you the reality that our hearts are so often divided. God, instead of giving you our whole selves, we give you part of ourselves and give ourselves to all other kinds of people and things and desires. God, we ask by your grace that you'd help us to see where and how we are doing that, that by your spirit you might graciously convict us of our sins so that we might turn in faith and put our whole hope and heart towards you. God, we cannot do that on our own. We can't just know we should. We cannot just think right thoughts. God, we need you by the power of your spirit to remind us about the good news of the gospel so that we, what we love most 
is you. God, we need you to do it. We can't do it on our own. Thanks that you long to do it in us. And so we pray that you would, God, for our good and for your glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Chapel Messages podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu partner.